This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, November the 1st, the patronizing Mirth edition. I'm Gabriel Roth. I am the editorial director of Slate Podcasts, and I'm the father of Eliza, who is seven, and Leo, who is four. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am mom to Henry, who is 17, Teddy, who is 15 and a half, and a stepdaughter, Lily, who is 18. Carvel Wallace is sick today. Feel better, Carvel. Today on our show, we'll be talking to Slate writer Rebecca Onion, whose recent piece, In Defense of Parenting Ideals, has been described by some as a vicious and frankly unprovoked attack on this podcast and its hosts. (laughs) Then we'll take a question from a listener who has a child with night terrors that are preventing him from sleeping over at friends' houses. Plus, as always, we'll have triumphs and fails, we'll have recommendations, and on Slate Plus, Slate's Evan Urquhart will join us to talk about his experience as a foster parent. First, let's do triumphs and fails. Rebecca, what kind of week has it been? It has been a, it's actually been a pretty good week, but I'm going to tell you about a fail anyway, because I feel like it's been a little too triumph heavy lately. Uh, I had a fail just before I walked into this studio. And it's the kind of fail that won't seem unfamiliar if you have heard me on this podcast before. I There is a very narrow window, and I have to give my uh, kids' school a lot of credit because they have really improved the parent-teacher conference sign-up process. They've created this, like, online module to do it. You can now go in and um, select which individual teachers you want to meet with so you don't have to meet with all of them if you don't want to. And then once you do that, you hit submit, and then it sends you a schedule of when everyone's open appointments are. So it's sort of like signing up at the Genius Bar to get your Apple computer fixed. They've just made it like really easy, really good. It used to be this like super onerous process that they had to do like two months in advance. But anyway, despite that, uh, I decided uh, this year I'm not going to do them for Henry because what the hell? Like, what he doesn't have to develop anymore. Like, he's a senior. And also, I don't know if talking to his teachers at this point is going to make any difference. So I'm just doing them for Teddy. I log in. And there's a list of all the teachers in the school. And it says, which teachers do you want to um, have appointments with? And I look at the list and I realize I do not know. Like, I don't know for 100% sure who all of Teddy's teachers are. So I had to open a whole other browser window and log into his little, like, Aspen module that, like, updates the grades and stuff, which, by the way, I almost never look at. So I had to, like, look up the password for that on my phone, look at that, look at all the recently upgraded, uh, uploaded grades, figure out what, what teachers' names were and which class they taught, and then go back in and schedule all of these things. And I realized, like, this is how bad it's gotten. It is uh, November 1st, tomorrow, and so we are two months into the school year, and I was not 100 on which teachers might own kid has in his various classes. So yeah, my whole thing about like being um, out of it with scheduling school stuff with logistics, it is real. It's not something I make up for the show. 
I am that bad at it. So bad, in fact, that like none of these names seem familiar to me. But once I realized who they are, I was like, oh, yes, yes, I've heard that before. I've heard that before. I've heard that before. I just couldn't come up with them on my own. And that was super embarrassing. Wait, I'm genuinely a little confused here. Are you <laughs> meant to know all of your kids' teachers? Like to well, know that, like if, like, like you're, you, you feel that it should be the case that if I say to you, who does Teddy have for history? You should be able to immediately say the name of that teacher. That I feel like other does parents not would. seem right to me. <laughs> I, I know for a fact that my own beloved parents would not have been able to do that. My, you oh, know, my older kid is in second grade, so they only she only has two teachers. Can I name those two teachers? Mm, can you? I, I mean, as you say, we're only a, a, a little ways into the school year. <laughs> I can, I, I can, I can visualize them. I would recognize them on the street. If you showed me photographs, I could pick them out of like a police lineup or whatever. But, but I, I just, I'm not sure that like, I guess this is a question of like, what are the parents' responsibilities in this situation? Because the mm. idea that you should be able, which I think you were suggesting that you should be able to like name each of, how many teachers does he have? He's in high school. He must have like eight uh, teachers. He's got five. Well, he's got five like core academic ones then plus his music teacher he has every year who okay. I know really well. I promise you there is no way that when my kids are in high school I'm going to know the names of five teachers for each of them. There's just no possibility of that happening. So maybe I'm, it's I'm going to get in like a, a preparatory fail right here. I'm 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 putting that fail <laughs> marker down right here. Yeah, I mean I feel like uh in my kids school the teachers have an outsized reputation only because the school is so small and also Henry has had many of these teachers before his older brother has had them so you know this is a school where there are like five English teachers and four math teachers and you know it's it's not huge and there are actually I think proportionately a lot of teachers for even the amount of kids there are but it is like a small community but I also do think that other parents know who their kids teachers are I do feel like I am alone, at least in my community of moms in. So when I hear just like one like tiny, funny thing, I did know who his history teacher was, Mrs. Moskal. And I know that because she uh, we were watching this obscure television show on Animal Planet called Northwoods Law recently. And it's a one of those like reality shows, but it follows the uh, New Hampshire fish and game around while they go on their calls to like uh, take illegal lizards out of people's houses or like catch, you know, deer poachers or like, you know, um, help people who are stuck on trails and stuff. And we were watching this show because, you know, it's about New Hampshire and we passed it on TV. We were watching it one day and there was this like fish and game call to these people's houses because like their dog had gotten loose in the woods. And Teddy's like, oh, that's my history teacher, Mrs. Moskal on the show. <laughs> so I know her because she was on this like TV show, but she's the only one I knew. But I do, I do think that other parents in my community would know. And I am, so I'm glad to hear that you don't think that it's nuts that I don't. But I still feel a little bit like I, I, I'm lacking a base of knowledge that other parents in my town have. Well, I, I hope you learn to live with the guilt. Um, <laughs> I, I have a fail of my own. Um, it's a fail that, uh, you know, comes in a context that's not an excuse. It's just a context. I'm going to tell you about the context. So I have a new job, as you might have noticed from the credit at the top of the show. I, I'm the editorial director of Slate Podcasts, which is a, a new position. And, and so I've been for the past few weeks, as you do with a new job, like I've 
had a lot of catching up to do. I've had to meet with a lot of people and learn a bunch of stuff and go through a bunch of things. And, and it, you know, you start a, a, in a new job and, and it's a slightly stressful time, uh, busy and complicated time in one's home. Conveniently, my wife also started a new job at a whole new enterprise um, about a month before I did. And so both of us are like in that like slightly anxious and extremely busy kind of period where you're starting a new job. And we've been like, oh, boy, this is crazy. And we just got to get through it. And then things are going to settle down. And we have been coordinating very well with each other. And just like we don't get a lot of time for the two of us just to like chill together. But we definitely like uh, have have been working on handing off tasks. And, and I feel like we've been doing a really good job of keeping things going. And I've also personally been doing my best to like when I'm with the kids to try to like put all of the like my mind is buzzing with details about my new job. I've been trying to like put all that away and I'm just going to like now I'm with the kids and I'm going to focus on that. And I've been working a bunch of late nights, so I probably haven't been home as often. But I've made a point of like when I do come home and they're still awake, then I, I like put the phone away and I sit down and I concentrate on dinner. I've been making more of an effort recently in an attempt to counteract what I know are the sort of buzzy, stressful effects of having a new job. Uh, and, and I thought I, if you had asked me last week, I would have told you I'm doing pretty good at that. Like I'm doing as well as can be expected. And in terms of the, like being more focused and present when I'm with them, I, I, I feel like I'm doing a really good job. Uh, and I, it seemed like it was basically going okay. The kids basically seemed fine and, and here we are. And then over the weekend, Eliza basically sat me down and said, you guys are always working all the time now. And even when you're not working, she said, you're working in your head. She mm. said, even even when you're at home, uh, you're working in your head. And I don't know what it is that she's observing, but I can't tell her that isn't true, right? Like, she hasn't said that before, and she says that it's different now. And, like, she just recognizes. There's just perceptive kids. She recognizes, like, there's stuff going on with me. And, and I'm being different. And I had thought, oh, look at me making a big effort to be actively present and not be working in my head. But there's all the times that I wasn't doing that, that I wasn't aware of not doing that, but that she was very aware of. So that makes me feel pretty bad. And, and, and I told her, you know, I, I hear you and I'm sorry about that. And it will get better when, you know, we've been in these new jobs for a little bit. This always happens with grownups in new jobs. But I will make a big effort not to be working in my head when I'm around you. And I didn't say, and I have already been making a big effort to do that. And apparently <laughs> my effort to do that has been inadequate. Uh, <laughs> but I, I pledged to recommit to that. Um, and that was the uh, that was over the weekend. Um, and then yesterday uh, I was making their lunches in the morning. And as I've talked about, my lunches are not the most exciting or creative. And as I've talked about, my lunches are not always the most exciting or the most creative. But uh, on this day, we had some leftover mac and cheese in the fridge. And so I heated some up in the microwave and I put it in a thermos for her. And that's like, I'm just going to like that. So I'm feeling good about that. And and. Uh, I, I think I should do mac and cheese for both of them, but I realize Leo is going to freak out if there's mac and cheese in his lunch because it's probably wrong or it's not what he's expecting. So I give him a normal thing and I give her the special thing. Uh, and uh, I get their two thermoses out and I put the mac and cheese in her thermos and, and uh, I leave his empty and then I make him a sandwich and I, I send them off to school. Uh, and then when I get home, um, she says, 
why did you give me an empty thermos for lunch? <gasps> no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. It's like sending your kid with an uncooked egg and telling I him it's a hard-boiled know. egg. I know. <sighs> she must have, like, opened the thermos and looked inside, and it's empty. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I don't feel good about that. Yeah. Um, um. <laughs> yeah, there, and there on the counter <laughs> is the yeah. other thermos with the mac and cheese. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, those is one of those times where I'd love to tell you something like super reassuring. I mean, yeah, I've like, done like this. I did with you. Like, like, yeah, I, like yeah. I was I like, oh, you don't need to worry about that Listen, at all. Yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say, Gabe, you really fucked that one up because you didn't. You made a mistake. It happens, but the timing, no, it wasn't not good. great. Wasn't good. <laughs> not ideal. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. what can you do? Yeah, I, uh, I made her cream cheese and jelly today, special occasion. We'll see if that makes up for it. <laughs> all right. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. Before we move on, let's do the business. As always, if you have a question that you would like us to answer, you can uh, leave us a message on our voicemail, 424-255-7833, or you can send us an email, momanddad at slate.com. We love getting your questions to talk about. Um, if you are not yet in our Facebook group, it's time you are in our Facebook group. Go on Facebook, search for Slate Parenting, mash that join button. It's a really good group. There's a ton of uh, Ben Frisch, our producer, is looking at me funny. Mash that join button. It's how all the kids are talking these days. Uh, in any case, it's a great conversation filled with parents attempting to use the very latest idioms uh, and uh, amuse and embarrass one another. Um, people share triumphs, fails, ask for recommendations, receive recommendations, uh, and uh, offer and uh, solicit help and support with their problems. Anyway, uh, on Slate Plus today, we're going to be talking to Slate's Evan Urquhart about his experience as a foster parent. Uh, it's going to be a great segment if you want to hear that and another like it every week. You should be a member of Slate Plus, just $35 for your first year. It helps us cover the cost of making the show. It gets you an extended ad-free episode of this podcast and many other Slate podcasts every week, plus a lot more. Uh, go to slate.com slash plus to join Slate Plus today. There are other URLs, but the one that ends with mom and dad plus is the one that lets them know that this is your show, slate.com slash dad plus. All right, let's go. We are joined now by Slate's own Rebecca Onion. Regular listeners uh, will be familiar with Rebecca. She has a piece up on the site, came out yesterday. The headline is, In Defense of Parenting Ideals, Acting Like Only Crackpots Police Screens or Have Wooden Toys Devalues All Our Parenting. Uh, Rebecca, why don't you maybe read the first paragraph of this piece for our listeners? All right, Gabe, you asked for it. <laughs> a few weeks ago, the hosts of my favorite parenting podcast, Slate's Mom and Dad Are Fighting, responded to a letter from a listener with a familiar kind of patronizing mirth. <laughs> the listener, who was a dad of small children, was concerned that grandma or grandpa were giving his kids screen time against his wishes. 
Raising kids in Berkeley, we saw a lot of this, the co-host Carvel Wallace said of screen-free, sugar-free parenting. People hold on to it like you're going to be able to create some transcendent child. Co-host Rebecca Lavoie told a story about the time her coworker, who was about to become a parent, reported that she was going to send her baby to a daycare that only had wooden toys. You know the reason why daycares have plastic toys is because germs actually come off when you wash a plastic toy with soap, Lavoie remembered asking her coworker. Experienced parents, Lavoie implied, know better than to choose a daycare based on their ideas about what kinds of toys might somehow be more stimulating. But I agree that the question of what you can fairly ask babysitting grandparents to do is a tricky one, but I didn't like how the hosts made a gentle mockery of the very idealism that underpinned this reader's concern. It seems crazy to have to defend the concept of having ideals, but here I am. <laughs> and here you are. <laughs> here I am. <laughs> well, well, welcome I to the show. I love you guys. I love you. Excited to have you on your favorite parenting podcast, Slate's Mom and Dad Are Fighting, to defend the concept of having ideals. So, Rebecca, I read your story this morning, and I have to, uh, the question that sort of popped out to me is, um, why... I'm just curious about like the the sort of trigger point for this. I mean, you said that um, having these kind of ideals was comforting for you, like provided you some sort of like stability and, you know, drive forward in your parenting mm-hmm. as you didn't describe it exactly that way. But it sounded like it's a framework for some kind of comfort and that we like kind of triggered, uh, you know, <laughs> a ripple in, in, in you that wanted you to defend it. So I'm wondering if you could just expand a little bit on like what's the comforting part of that for you? You know, why why does it sort of frame oh. your parenting and give you that kind of comfort? Oh, I mean, it probably has something to do with my personality. Um, I mean, of course, you know, there may be some people for whom um, hearing that there is a, like a whole set of ideas out there about how you should, for example, like discipline your toddler or, you know, get your toddler to do things um, could be sort of overwhelming. But for me, I, I like knowing that there are experts who have thought about it, um, who have uh, a lot of sort of a framework of advice for me. I mean, that's sort of the way that I am in a lot of respects. Like, I just started doing CrossFit. I like it because it's CrossFit. It tells you what to do. <laughs> um, you know, there's like, I, I'm the kind of person who like likes a school of yoga and does that school of yoga and likes to, um, you know, follow along with the program. Um, so I don't know. I think in some ways, there's there's a lot of sort of the reflexive advice out there is that you should follow your intuition as a parent. And that always sort of bothers me a little bit because I'm like, well, what if you don't really have intuition? Or what if what if that's, you know, what if your intuition is to do research and find out what what people, other people think about it, and then to find out what those ideas are that you like, and then to apply those ideas? And if is that also intuitive? Or is that somehow wrong? Um, and I feel like... <laughs> I, I'm straw manning a little bit and using you guys as as my springboard because I see a lot of it on the internet, um, maybe especially in Facebook parenting groups, but also just among friends of people who will um, listen to somebody's sort of dilemma or worry or um, someone's uh, you know parenting problem and then respond with, oh, well, just do what you feel is right. Um, and I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, well, but what I feel is right is that there should be more of a system. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's not always, um, you know, you guys made a good point that, you know, this person who is worried about screen time should be thinking more about relationships than about screen time. But screen time is part of relationships, too. You know, it's all kind of tied up together. I feel like there are two. I feel like there are two strands in parenting discourse that are very closely related and that you're sort of associating here. 
And one of them is this idea of intuition and that there's no right or wrong way to do things and that however you feel like is the right way to do it, then you should do it and that's great. Uh, and the other one is the idea of permission or relief. Like if you're doing it right or if you're doing it wrong, th either way, you don't need to feel guilty about it. The, that idea, I think, comes from the sense that there's so much uh, prescriptive advice and then so much guilt and guilt tripping in response to that prescriptive advice for parents. Uh, and, and particularly, of course, mothers are often the ones who take on a lot of the burden of that guilt. Uh, and, and so some part of the discourse that you're, that you're uh, pinpointing here is to do with saying like, well, maybe you're not doing this in the optimal way, but you're only human and you can only do as much as you can do. And that seems a little different to me from the strand that says, well, whatever you do is the optimum way because everything is great. Do you, does that seem right to you? Yeah. I mean, I think it is, it is meant to be comforting, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and it is meant to be comforting. I mean, I think one of the things that I try to really get at in the piece is that in, in my use of the things that I read and the things that I hear about is a lot of times not based on, um, like, I feel like people, when people say doing, quote unquote, doing parenting right, they're sort of, there's a uh, understanding that you're talking about, like, having the best kids turn out, like, somehow, like, there's going to be a product that's, that's a child that's, like, perfect. Mm. Um, and for me, like, the product of applying advice to my life is much more that my life is happy um mm. and that my parent like my my parenting is i don't know parenting is is a big change in your life in any in any person's life obviously um and for me the 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 ideas that i encounter that work the most for me are the ones that make me feel sort of natural as a parent and that make me feel better as a person together and to say i don't know maybe for someone else to say i'm not going to use screens on the weekends in front of my child would be uh something that would make them not feel good <laughs> or make them feel like gabe said like a guilty like a, a guilty feeling of like i should be punished for doing this um but for me it makes me feel better um and i don't know i think that 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 sort of possibility is what gets lost in the conversation about maybe especially these kind of more um, like guilt producing issues like sugar and screens and like outdoor time and stuff like that. There's one that you allude to in the piece that I think yeah. is, is very central to many people's experience of this, which is breastfeeding. Uh, you write, as a breastfeeding yes. apostate, oh, yeah, yeah. I've had the experience of going into a tailspin from the guilt of feeding my baby wrong. So Obviously, yes. you're familiar with, with, with the sense of like, oh, no, I'm doing this wrong and it's catastrophic and I'm a bad mother. Can, can you say what that experience is like for you? Oh, horrible. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, I, I mean, it, for, for a lot of people it probably, who have this same issue, it probably spins out the same way, which is that you're really tired at the same time this is going down because <laughs> you have a new little baby um, and you're trying to figure it out. And there is... You know, it's, it actually is was a good lesson for me in a lot of ways because when I finally, um, you know, stopped at uh, my baby was about five and a half months um, and I just started giving her a formula. You know, I had a couple of friends who said, you know, you won't even remember this in two years. And I was like, but right now I feel horrible. <laughs> like I would just Google over and over again, you know, what will happen to a five month old baby if they don't drink like exclusively breast milk or whatever, you know, um, I was going down into like the deepest um, mumsnet posts and baby center forums and such. But um, 
But, you know, and then when I finally did it, it made my life so much better and she was fine. And it seemed like it sort of pushed us into a new evolution of mother and child and mother and father and child. Like our whole family kind of stepped up a little bit in a way that felt really natural. Um, And so I encourage anyone who's suffering with that (laughs) to think about that (laughs) as a possibility. Well, so then the question comes up, where do you draw the line between like, well, you evidently felt that it was important to breastfeed and then at a certain point that just mm-hmm. became untenable and so you, you, you had to compromise yeah. and the compromise worked out well and, and relaxing that idea worked out well for you and for your family. Yeah. Um, and and yeah. so what if someone else says, well, maybe relaxing on the screens would work out well too and maybe there's too <laughs> much of these this prescriptive stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think, well, the difference is that I don't feel that, like, I don't long for it, you know, <laughs> like, to, to I don't long for screens, I guess, for her, you know, like, I'm not, with the breastfeeding thing, you know, by the time I stopped, I would, I would fantasize, like, I had these whole, like, I would, I was supposed to be working, and I would find myself, like, just, like, thinking about how great it would be not to have to pump, and, like, how wonderful it would be, and with the screen thing, like, I don't think of it that way, um, you know, like, I, I think you can... I've sort of in my life come to a point where if I can imagine a change really vividly, I can often sort of feel how it would feel to make that change. And I don't Mm. feel that way about letting her watch screens. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe in some ways it's easier for me because I only have one child. And so I don't have the experience of having not let her watch screens. And then, you know, like I don't have any previous experience of having a child who does watch screens so that I can, um, you know, I might then be able to play out in my mind like, boy, it would be a lot easier to wait at this doctor's office if she could look at the iPad or whatever. But since we don't do that ever, it's not in my mind. I, I think that what I what I'm getting from Gabe's question, what I was going to ask you too, because at one point in the story, mm. and by the way, like I just want to tell you what you just said earlier really resonated with me about. I mean, my philosophy of parenting and the reason why I do say derisive things about some of these like arbitrary <laughs> ideals that people have <laughs> is because in a lot of cases they are they they don't exist to make you know, the parents' life happier, better, easier, more relaxing, more fun. Mm-hmm. They exist because they exist and people think they have to. And what you just said was just having that list makes it easier, better, and makes you feel good because you get to start with a set of instructions and then choose for yourself. And I think that's great. But the question that I have is because, you know, in other, at another point in the story, you say you used to be very, like, uh, ideal and had this idealistic view of like snacks and food and now you just let her have Mm -hmm. bites of stuff you know here and there and I guess what I want to know is if you today could go back in time and talk to you a year ago wouldn't you just be telling yourself hey don't worry about that that doesn't that doesn't matter don't worry about that that doesn't matter because isn't that what the evolution that you've kind of come to yourself oh interesting (laughs) um I mean no because I mean, I guess the question is, what, like when you make the decision, so the one one other thing about food that I did that doesn't fit within the philosophies of the people that I read about food that I liked is that she doesn't, um, like we don't have a family dinner because we eat at like 8.30 or 9 and there was no way we were going to eat at 6. Like, just not yet, really. Like, that's just not really going to happen for us. Um, You know, she's only 21 months old, so it's a little bit different. But, um, you know, like I... I don't know. I think I, even at the time, 
sort of thought to myself like, boy, this like scheduled snack thing is going to be hard for me to do because I don't have scheduled snacks. Like I am like a grazer, which is terrible. I should probably stop. But, um, you know, I sort of thought to myself like, oh, it would be convenient to have like at least with scheduled snacks, like, you know, exactly when they're going to eat and there's not like begging for food and whatever, like a debate over what they're going to eat. Um, and then when I have sort of relaxed it, I still have in my mind, the thought of like, boy, like if this starts to not work, like if I feel like she's not eating well at her meals or, um, you know, every time we go out, there's like a big conversation about what snack is going to get purchased or whatever. Like if there's if I start to be annoyed by it, basically, then at least I know that philosophically, you know, there are people out there saying, you know, in order to like get her to eat better at meals, you should have scheduled snacks and maybe I'll go back to that, you know, Um I don't know. Like, I, I think it's sort of a fluid evolution in a way, if that makes sense. I think one thing I'm picking up yeah. is that y- you have a fair amount of confidence in, in yourself that allows you to make decisions as to when you're going to abide by the prescriptions and when you're going to jettison the prescriptions because they're not working for you. And that it, uh-huh. in most cases, there's not a ton of guilt wrapped up in that for you. Um, and that's great and seems like something that the rest of us could strive to emulate. Uh, and maybe uh. <laughs> maybe the advice that's intended to be reassuring is targeted not at parents who have that ability, but at parents who are who don't have that kind of confidence. Oh, maybe. Um, I mean, I don't know. Another thing is that I was 39 when I had her, so I am like old and confident, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, like I have to sometimes <laughs> remember that. Plenty of us are old um, and insecure, like, though. <laughs> well, I guess. Oh, I'm insecure about other things, maybe. Um, yeah. No, I mean, and I have the moments of guilt. Like, I just, I'm going to get probably blowback for this, maybe. But I just started um, brushing her teeth after, like, knowing that I should be for a long time. Oh, my God, you monster. I know. Whatever. I know. All the teeth she has are going to fall out. Who cares? Come on. <laughs> Either they're going to fall out or the dentist is going to pull them out after they find out that she has bottle rot on her teeth or whatever. No, I don't it's, know. Um, I'm going to I'm yeah. gonna be that, that person you hate yeah. again and tell you it's really not a big deal to brush your kid's baby teeth until they're like two. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> oh, thank you, Rebecca. In this case, I appreciate it. don't you it. feel better now? <laughs> I do. I do. And All actually, right. I would find myself like seeking out that kind of like I was like oh I need that reassurance but anyway now we brush them and she screams <laughs> so great <laughs> okay all right uh, Rebecca Onion thanks for joining us on the show uh, the piece on Slate is called In Defense of Parenting Ideals we'll post it uh, on our show page it's probably it has probably already been posted in the Facebook group did you post it in the Facebook group I didn't do it oh we gotta post that in the Facebook group and we'll put it on I our will. show page um, and thank you for joining us we'll talk to you again soon thanks guys Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, time to take a question from a listener. This one came to our email address, slate.com. If you have a question for us, email us there. Uh, here is now a question. Dear Mom and Dad are fighting. I have a nine-year-old son, and since he's about three years old, we've been dealing with night terrors. 
In their mildest form, they involve him getting up, wandering around the house, and crying. In this mild form, he will always walk the house until he finds us. We guide him back into bed, and he goes right to sleep. Right now, that sort of thing happens one or two times a week, usually within the first hour or two after he falls asleep. In their more serious form, which happens about once a month, he wanders, cries very hard, and cannot be consoled or easily guided back to bed. He often does not recognize us during these serious episodes, cannot be reasoned with, and cannot be woken up. He never remembers any of this the following day. My question has to do with sleepovers. There have been times in his life where the night terrors are not coming as often, and we'd allowed him to sleep over at others' homes. Right now, though, we are in a phase where they are happening frequently, at least once or twice a week. We are not allowing him sleepovers at others' homes right now because we don't want the other parents or his friends to have to deal with this. Also, night terrors are more likely to happen in an unfamiliar environment. This restriction has led him to feel as though these episodes are some sort of failure on his part that he needs to fix. This is made all the more frustrating by the fact that he doesn't even remember these episodes and there really isn't anything he can do about them. Are we doing the right thing by not allowing sleepovers at other homes? Thank you. I had slightly hoped that this would be a suitably spooky question for our Halloween episode, <laughs> but actually it's just quite a sad question, this poor kid. Yeah. And, it, I, and uh, you know, I, I understand and sympathize with the predicament that you're in, that like it's not his fault and he feels bad about it and he sh- why should he not get to do a thing that other kids his age are getting to do? And, and it's sad. Uh, what do you think, Rebecca? No, I agree with you. It, it's it sounds like what this kid wants is super reasonable, right? Because he doesn't have the same information that you have as a parent. I I mean, the one thing that I might try in this, if I were in this situation, is obviously your relationships with other kids and their families are all going to be different. I mean, my my uh, kids have always had friends that I don't know anything. You know, I know a little bit about the families, but I'm not friends with the parents. I don't know them well. And then they have other friends where I, you know, I'm good friends with the parents and we you know, have dinner together and glasses of wine together and so forth. And I wonder if that might be a place to start because... One of the things that uh, this writer in her says is, you know, her hesitation is around putting the other kids' parents through this. But I would bet, I mean, I know that if one of my kids' friends' moms called had called me when they were 8 or 9 or 10 years old and explained the situation and said, oh, you know, he just really wants to sleep over. What do you think? Is this something you'd be willing to, you know, take the chance on? I would have said yes in a second. Like, I really would have. And... I would have probably just said, hey, what's the best thing to do if this happens? And should I have a glass of water at the ready and a cold towel or whatever it is? And um, I think the thing that people tend to underestimate when it comes to asking for things is how much other parents are dealing with their own shit and would be really, really glad to have a chance to help out and, you know, make do something to make someone else's kid a little bit happier and just contribute in some way. So I would maybe start there, you know, have some conversations with with these with families that that you feel comfortable approaching and see if maybe you can just dip your toe in this a little bit. I mean, if somebody says they are willing to deal with it, if it happens, then it's not like you didn't warn them, right? And it's not like they're they're going into something with their eyes closed. And it could give your son the opportunity to sort of overcome this sense of shame or dread or whatever he's feeling around this. But I really feel for him. And if it were me, I would, I'd probably try to figure out a way to at least give it a try. That's a great answer. I endorse that answer. I don't have anything else to say. Um, Good luck 
with this uh, situation. I hope the night terrors alleviate, and and I hope that you take Rebecca's advice and that you can find uh, a family friend, someone where there's an environment that you can feel confident that he's safe there, and and he can know that if something goes wrong, then this is somebody who cares about him and is going to treat him warmly and sympathetically. All right, moving on. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time now to do a segment of the show that I call Recommendifications. It's the segment where we recommendificate something to you. Rebecca, what are you going to recommendificate this week? <laughs> Thank you for uh, elevating that this week, Gabe. I am going to recommend a product which, you know, sometimes I'm not super comfortable doing, but I am in this case because it's worked so well for my family and my one of my teenage sons. Uh, in general, and the product I'm going to recommend is the very inexpensive, incredibly effective St. Ives Acne Control Apricot Scrub. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I have been using this as an adult for years and years and years. I grew up, I always had like real problems with acne when I was a kid starting in like, you know, middle school, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth. 10th, 11th grade, whatever. Yeah, um, my my ex-husband also had a problem with acne growing up and still keeps it, tries to keep it managed as an adult. And, um, you know, I had parents who finally, when I was like in high school or whatever, finally took me to a dermatologist, did the whole like retin-A thing that's, you know, gives you sunburns and all that stuff. And, you know, uh, the boy's dad and I, when we, when the kids were really little, we always used to say, you know, if one of our kids has issues with acne, like we're not going to do what our parents did and like pretend it's not a big deal like we know it's a big deal we're going to try to be as helpful as possible so when henry started getting some acne like in fifth sixth seventh grade which i get a dermatologist same deal there was this whole like regimen of stuff and it's just not great for you like when you read all the warnings and stuff it's like don't go outside <laughs> don't don't swim an hour after applying and you realize you know and it's like bleaching the towels in the bathroom and like all this other other things happening. So I said to him, he's like 13 or so and, and starting to kind of get his grooming act together. I was like, I just want you to try something. I want to just try using what I use, which is St. Ives Acne Control Apricot Scrub. It's literally the only thing I use on my face. I do moisturize later, but like that's the only thing I wash my face with. He's been using it now for five years. He's got great skin. He gets the occasional like once in a while, like pimple on his nose, pimple on his forehead, but he's not, he does not break out. It's just exfol constant exfoliation. It's cheap. It's like three bucks. And I swear by it for my teenagers. Teddy uses it too. I can't like vouch for it as strongly with him because I don't think he washes his face with the regularity that Henry does. But uh, if you want to, if you have kids who are sort of struggling with this issue and they seem uh, willing to try something to actually wash their face twice a day, give this a try. It's worth it. It literally costs three bucks. So what's the worst that can happen? And uh, we swear by it in our house. Again, that's St. Ives Acne Control Apricot Scrub. 
Nice. I myself ended up uh, successfully treating my adolescent acne with uh, an over-the-counter medication that I would take. Uh, cleared it all up in about two weeks and uh, it not incidentally changed my life. Literally, there is no yeah. more dramatic change that can happen to a human being than going from covered in horrible acne to not having any acne anymore. It was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I agree. And I, I don't understand. Like, I do think it is, it's it's almost like I, I I know that there there's probably different thinking around this because you don't want to do that thing where you're like oh you're giving the message that that looks matter most but like acne is so tough to live with when you're a teenager because like not everybody gets it it's just it's it's there's inequality around acne that you have no control over it's just like what kind of skin you have whatever and you know I'm I, I don't want to say like I'm resentful <laughs> my parents were not like listening to me about like how serious it was in my life but they didn't and I I always just sort of felt like if this is an easy thing I can do that helps with something that I experienced that I know was like kind of traumatic because I was one of the first people to get it. I don't know. I mean, I think it's important to, if, if you can, and if you, it's not philosophically against your beliefs or whatever, help your kid out if they get zits because it really is tough. It really is. Yeah. Get the drugs. Do it. Uh, or this apricot facial scrub, which I, <laughs> I, I'm sure is, is very effective. But it's $3. Actually, Try get, it first. Get the drugs. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to recommend a practice that probably many of our listeners already do regularly, but which we haven't been doing, and and I did it today, and it's great. Uh, Leo is at home sick. He has a flu or cold or something. I guess he had the flu shot, so he doesn't have the flu, but he has some kind of a cold. He had a fever. So he's at home with his babysitter. And he, uh, in the past, we might have tried to do like a FaceTime call or a phone call. And doing that with small children is often really awkward, as you probably know, like trying to like have a conversation with an object mediating between you. It's just they don't know how to do it. And it's weird. What we started doing today is sending like video messages. Like I just went into, uh, you know, an office with my phone and just held my phone up in front of my face. And I was like, hi, Leo, it's dad. How's it going? Here I am at work. I hope you're feeling better. I love you. And texted that to the babysitter and she showed it to him and recorded him saying, hi, daddy, I'm feeling a little better. We're reading this book and I'm looking forward to seeing you. And um, it's just, it's a much better way to communicate. It takes all the pressure mm. off. And it like, yeah, he can see my message and, and get the what I'm telling him. And he can like tell me something and then fit it within his like five second attention span and then go back to whatever else he was thinking about. Um, so my recommendation is uh, video messaging with young children. That's uh, great. And it also totally doesn't play at all into that whole, like, no one likes to use the phone anymore thing, which no one does. Right, of course. People don't like real-time conversations. Right, right. They like it's, messages. Right. You, you can have the benefits of, like, video communication without mm-hmm. the the deficit of, like, trying to do it all <laughs> synchronously. You can have asynchronous. Exactly. Asyn- what I'm recommending is asynchronous video communication. Mm-hmm. And that's our show. If you have a question that you'd like us to address, give us a call at 424-255-7833. You can tell us what you thought of the show at our Facebook group. Go to Facebook and search for Slate Parenting. Our show is produced by Benjamin Frisch. Carvel Wallace will be back next week. For Rebecca Lavoie, I'm Gabriel Roth, and we'll see you next week.
step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.